Good evening. Our scripture for this evening is taken from John 11, verses 7 through 37. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? This is the word of the Lord. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the English Bible. But the 19th century British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said of those two words... There is infinitely more in these two words than we'll ever be able to bring out of them. But I hope tonight, in the very least, you'll be able to find comfort in one thing. I want to focus on one thing, that we can find comfort in a God who weeps. We may know comfort knowing that in the man Jesus, God weeped. Now, I remember... My first funeral, my first funeral wake as a kid, it was my great uncle Johnny Lopiccolo's funeral. It was the wake. I had never been to a funeral before. He was my grandfather's brother. So I went to the wake and I remember, I remember seeing the body. It was an open casket wake. And you know, what I, you know what I mean when I say when, when you see the body of somebody you know and somebody you love, with them not in it, it is jarring, isn't it? It's jarring. Now, death and decay are, you know this, we know this, we, we, we live in an age of reason and science. It's perfectly natural 
for things to physiologically and biologically decay and die. But spiritually speaking, you know this, spiritually speaking, there is nothing natural about the death and decay of a human being. It's wholly unnatural. And the reason I can say that to you and know that you know exactly what I mean is grief, your grief, your mourning, your rage, even if it's an inward rage, your wailing uncontrollably. And speak of wailing, I had an Aunt Camilla. Well, in New York, we called her Aunt Camilla, but it's Carmela. It's spelt Carmela. Sorry, the accent's going to come out as I talk to you. But I went to my great-uncle Johnny's wake, and when he died, there was only one remaining sibling. Out of that, my grandfather's generation, there was one sibling left, and it was Aunt Carmela. And Aunt Carmela, and I'm going to try and say this respectfully, was very dramatic. Even for a Sicilian, she was extremely dramatic. She was jacked up on quaaludes so that she could get there and people in the family could control her at the wake. And she stumbled to the casket, moaning. And the moaning got louder, and it literally turned into wailing. We don't, we don't, most of us don't appreciate this type of open public grieving. But in some cultures, it's quite common. Aunt Carmela, she walked into the, into the room where the wake was, and she approached the casket, wailing. And she grabbed on. This is a true story. She grabbed on to the clothing of the deceased within the casket, wailing and started shaking the casket back and forth and then passed out and fell over. This is a, I would not lie to you on Good Friday. This, this is a true story. It actually, and, I'm, and I'm toning it down for the sake of, of brevity and respect of what we're doing here. Okay? That was my first funeral. That was my first wake. Now, speaking of wailing, the, the Jews of Jesus' day weren't quite as dramatic as my Aunt Carmela, but far more intense than what you and I experience. Their grief, their mourning period and process was far more intense and vivid than what you and I typically discover uh, in experiences like this. Actually, we find in the passage in John chapter 11 that Lazarus, by the time Jesus had approached the village of Bethany, Lazarus had been dead four days. It was the fourth day after his death. And that's really significant. It was after three days that the ancients considered that a body would start to decay. If, if, the, if, the, if the person really wasn't dead and just seemed to be dead... You had about three days to just make sure that the person was really dead. But after three days, that was kind of it. Actually, some of the rabbinical teachings would say you can't, you can't actually legally confirm the identity of a corpse after three days. Uh, because of decomposition, the fourth day is when the body began to change in appearance. Some, scholar, some scholars say uh, some of the rabbis allegedly believed that, that a person's soul would linger. Now, I'm not saying this is true. This isn't in the Bible. It's, it's just a historical perspective on what some rabbis taught, that the soul of a person would linger near the body, trying to find a way back to the body until the fourth day. 
This, is, this was what some people believed. And so the fourth day of mourning was significant. This, was, this, this meant this is final. It represented the finality of an individual's death. It was the greatest and most intense day within the 30-day mourning period for the Jews. And this is when Jesus arrived at Lazarus' funeral on the fourth day. And we're told by John that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. But what I'm saying to you tonight is that is a great comfort to us, and I'll explain why. Maybe you're wrestling right now. We're all experiencing different things. Maybe you're wrestling with death. Maybe you are wrestling with grief. Maybe even inward rage over the death of somebody that you loved. Maybe you're wrestling with the eventuality of your own death. Maybe it's not anything like that. Maybe you are suffering a loss. Maybe you've lost something that is very dear to you and precious. And it's brought about a lot of grief or heartache or confusion in you. Maybe you're experiencing a time in your life of severe uncertainty. You're thinking about next week or you're thinking about a year from now. And there's grave uncertainty. And that is weighing you down. Maybe it's pain. Maybe you are enduring physical pain or emotional or psychological pain that just feels like it is too much for you to bear. Whatever it may be for you, Christ's weeping helps us. Practically helps us for whatever you're dealing with. And I just want to share with you for tonight three observations. Here's how the weeping of the Son of God can comfort us. Just three things. First of all, Christ weeping shows us, as our brother Steve mentioned to our children just a few minutes ago, shows us that Jesus was human. He had real tear ducts. He had real tear ducts. He really cried. He had honest emotions like you and I. Jesus of Nazareth was affected, affected by living in a broken world. We read in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, speaking of Mary now, so his friends Mary and Martha are the sisters of Lazarus, the dead man. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, now imagine the intense emotional trauma of a formal period of mourning in a traditional culture. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, you know, Jesus was God. And if you read all of John 11, you know the story. You know what Jesus knows. And Jesus knows that he's going to get there and raise up Lazarus from the dead. Read it more closely when you get a chance. Jesus is God. Jesus knows he's going to resurrect Lazarus. And yet Jesus wept. And he wept because he was human. So Jesus was human. That allows him, second observation, to identify with you. Jesus identifies, Jesus the man identifies with us in our suffering and our grief. The author to the letter of the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews says this, We don't have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted. Tempted and tested, same word. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that distinction is very important. Here's what makes Jesus the perfect savior. He was without sin. But here's what makes Jesus the perfect comforter. He's just like us. He's human. So what makes him the perfect savior, he's he's nothing like us in that he was sinless. What makes him the perfect comforter is that he's everything like us in experientially knowing our pain, experientially knowing our grief, knowing our fears, knowing our burdens that we carry. As Isaiah said in chapter 53, and we read it earlier tonight, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He has a personal, experiential knowledge of the human experience. So because Jesus was human, is human, I should say, he is able to identify with with us in our suffering. And because he is able to identify with us in our suffering, third observation, he gives us freedom. Freedom to weep. I just, just don't mean literally cry. Of course I mean that, but I mean much more than that. The Christ, the Son of God, who in his humanity can identify with you, now liberates you to weep. You don't have to bury your grief. You raised in a family or, or, or in a subculture where you didn't, you didn't share your feelings, if something terrible happened to you, if you lost someone close to you, you're suffering in a way you just, you stuff it. Right? In some circles, leader, a leader doesn't cry. A leader doesn't let on that he or she is weak in any way. If you're raised in an environment like that, do you work now in an environment like that? Well, according to Jesus Christ, you don't have to bury your grief. You don't have to live in denial of your pain. You also don't have to live in denial of the pain that the people around you are struggling with. Look, if the Son of God wept at the death of his friend, if the Son of God wept, identifying with the grief of the friends around him, then why can't you? The Apostle Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3, what I want to do more than anything else is know Jesus. I'm giving everything up in my life, everything of worldly value and notoriety and reputation. I'm considering it all as if it were trash. Not that it is all trash, but I'm going to act as though and consider it all trash so that I can go after this, this priceless prize. And the prize for Paul was, I want to know who Jesus is. I really want to understand who Jesus is. And in the context of saying that, Paul went on to say, this is what I want, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I'll stop for a second. Don't we want to know Jesus in his life, in his resurrection? That's why I'm excited about two days from now. But Paul said more than that. He goes, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Do you see that? The goal of the Christian life is by the grace and power of God to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. That's the goal of the Christian life. That's God's planned intention for you if you belong to Jesus, is to become more and more like his son. And the way we do that is we must identify with his weakness. In order to identify with Jesus, if you want to be like Jesus, 
you've got to be honest about your weakness. That's how you become like Jesus. That's how you personally get to know your Savior. Not just intellectually, not just informationally, but spiritually and emotionally and cognitively as, a, as an individual, the way you get to truly know your Savior, like Paul is describing, is you be real about your weakness. That is how you begin to relate to Jesus because that is how he related to you. The gospel is that God became weak to identify with you. And my friends, in your weakness, you will be better able to identify with your Lord Jesus. So Jesus wept, and I'm telling you, we can find great comfort in knowing that we worship a God who weeps, who still grieves over what we grieve about. The things in this world that we see that break our hearts, God's heart breaks. And the proof is the tears of Jesus of Nazareth over the grave of his friend Lazarus. Again, Hebrews chapter 4. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. A weeping Savior who died in our place gives us the freedom to approach our Creator with full confidence that He listens to us, that He hears us because of His Son. Because of Jesus, He hears your cry. He knows your mourning. He knows your pain because he went through it himself. We worship a God who is not asking us to walk through anything that he has not already walked before us. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as you deal with sorrow, as you deal with pain, as you deal with grief, as you deal with uncertainty, know that Jesus, my friends, has already walked your path. He's, he's leading from the front. He will not ask you. He has never put you through anything that he cannot experientially relate to as a human being. That is what is so amazing about Christianity. Is your God can say, I know exactly what you're going through. Because I went through it myself. So my encouragement to you tonight, as we meditate on and feast on the grace of God manifest in the weakness of his crucified son, is that God hears your cry. And he understands your cry because he knows. Jesus knows. Whatever you're thinking about right now, Jesus knows. And he weeps with you. And that's not the end of the story. But it's where we're going to pause tonight in anticipation of Sunday morning. Pray with me before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Lord Jesus, whether we have simply in our hearts mourned and wailed in grief and confusion or anger or pain, or whether we have loudly and uncontrollably laid our hearts bare publicly or in front of our family or friends, you know, whether we're private mourners or public mourners, Father, we ask each of us for the same grace, the same grace 
to know our Savior, Jesus Christ, who wept over death, who wept over grief and fallenness in a broken world because of our sin, who knew that he would rise from the dead and still looked at death and wept. Father, give us the same transparency to be able to look at our weakness and the weakness of others and their struggles and identify with one another because you have identified with us. Father, we take great comfort in knowing that we now have access. We are free to approach you and ask you for help when we struggle. And I pray it would begin, Father, that your help would, we, would begin with the simple fact that we are comforted knowing that you have suffered and wept with us. In our Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.